Hi, everyone. This is Alicia Halliday, and thank you for listening to this week's ASF Weekly Science Podcast. Not just this week, but every week. There were over 80,000 downloads of the ASF podcast this year, and that's humbling to say the least. So I'm so thankful and honored to be sharing the latest with you today. This week, I want to share the knowledge of pediatricians and what they want other pediatricians to know about autism. This is an update from the 2007 report published in the journal Pediatrics, the Journal of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The report outlined what every pediatrician should know and what they should do in their everyday general pediatrician practices to better identify autism in kids they see and how they can help families. Well, what is the American Academy of Pediatrics or AAP? This is a nonprofit organization of 67,000 pediatricians across the U.S. whose mission is to attain optimal physical, mental, and social health and well-being for all infants, children, adolescents, and young adults. To accomplish this, the AAP supports the professional needs of its members. It includes helping pediatricians understand the newest and latest and provide resources on information, as well as advocate for the health of children. To do so, they have different committees based on different areas of children's health. These include things like substance abuse, pediatric AIDS, and workforce development, as in making sure there are enough pediatricians to help kids everywhere. Why write this report? Well, so pediatricians across the country in different settings are prepared to deal with the children with autism in their practice. It's not meant to entirely solve the problem, but it's a good start. These guidance documents have changed practice in real life. It was the report in 2007 that recommended universal screening at 18 and 24 months of age for autism. That report has helped, and when the AAP talks, pediatricians should listen. They don't always, as we know from screening rates, but screening rates have improved and the recommendations did help. Why write a new guidance document? A lot has happened in the last 12 years. It's hard to believe 2007 was 12 years ago. And the Committee on Autism of the American Academy of Pediatrics wrote a refresh of their guidance for pediatricians. Most parents take their concerns about their child's development to their primary care pediatrician or other care provider. I mean, who wouldn't? That's what you're supposed to do. And I, for one, am telling parents to take their concerns to their pediatrician. My advice is always to empower parents to provide as much information as they can on their child's development. But most parents, not all but most, are not board-certified pediatricians who are trained to know the signs of autism. And by the way, these pediatricians, as I try to reinforce a lot, deal with a lot of different issues. Think about it. Measles outbreaks, flu, broken arms from falling on play sets, pennies shoved up noses, weird migraines in kids, drug addiction in teenagers, anxiety, and God only knows what else. I'm not a pediatrician, but I am a parent. And I will say that I do listen to my pediatrician and you should too. So thank goodness a professional society is providing guidance to pediatricians to help them identify autism in kids in their practices, because that's where most of them will be seen for the first time. These are the general pediatricians who the parents will bring their concerns to, and these pediatricians are charged with addressing these concerns. The AAP clearly recommends that pediatricians do the following things. 
first is to conduct developmental and behavioral surveillance during all well-child visits with children and developmental screening at the 9, 18th, and 30-month visits and standardized screening of patients for autism spectrum disorder at the 18 and 24-month visit. This is what was said in 2007, but it's worth saying again. There are general developmental screening tools for nine-month-olds that may trigger needs for intervention, maybe not specifically for autism, but general developmental milestones. And they should be used and the results should be monitored. Even though the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force has been somewhat equivocal for universal screening, the AAP has taken a stand. They say there's enough evidence to support it and they endorse it. So just remember that when you go take your baby to the pediatrician. They're also charged for evaluating with co-occurring conditions. These include things like language, adaptive function, and sensory function, also motor behavior. If you're having problems getting your pediatrician to do these assessments, print out the guidelines. They are open access and the link can be found at asfpodcast.org and shove it in their face. Also, pediatricians should be on the lookout for psychiatric issues and needs to incorporate both behavioral and psychiatric care in patients with autism spectrum disorders. For those of you who object to the use of the word patients, pediatricians are doctors and everyone, not just those with autism, are their patients. This term provides legal and ethical protection to those they work with, so please don't get offended. Pediatricians should also offer genetic testing if they think it's needed. There may be some features of autism that trigger a genetic workup. The pediatrician should recommend a genetic analysis if they think it's warranted. But this is tricky since not every pediatrician has access to genetic resources like genetic counselors. I think the general rule of thumb is to refer to a developmental pediatrician. The genetic test may help families understand their child's autism and potential other issues, but it's not diagnostic. Also, other tests like metabolic tests and EEG or neuroimaging may be important if there's a suspicion of issues like epilepsy or structural brain changes, but is not part of the baseline evaluation. Pediatricians should help ensure that children with autism spectrum disorder are provided with evidence-based services to address social, academic, and behavioral needs, not just in the clinic, not just at home, but also in school and with access to appropriate pediatric and mental health care, respite services, and leisure activities. Now, what is evidence-based? Well, this article goes into details of that in the document, and they even provide a summary of what evidence-based practices provide. They do call out some by name, but as examples so that pediatricians have an anchor. It's what's in the intervention, not the name of the intervention that matters. Also, there's an extensive section on medications, which ones are used for what behaviors, none of which, by the way, treat the core symptoms of autism, However, they may help treat things like anxiety, mood disorders, and aggression. Kids with autism need an entire spectrum of care. This means addressing social, academic, and behavioral needs at school, work, and at home. Now I've said it twice. It's that important. Pediatricians should also engage with families and youth to provide a transition plan for the adult system of medical and behavioral care. Most kids graduate from their pediatricians at age 18. 
So planning for children with autism spectrum disorder to understand and participate in their own health care should begin in adolescence, like 12 to 14 years of age, with adaptation for developmental abilities. Their plan recommends six core elements that needs to be addressed for healthcare transition without disruption in care, including things like a transition policy, tracking and monitoring transition, accessing transition readiness for youth and the family, actively planning the details of the transition, transfer of care to a different provider, and the transition completion, making sure everything is wrapped up. Also, pediatricians need to teach adolescents with autism spectrum disorders about sexuality. Pediatricians should also inform patients and families about the evidence for interventions and refer families for possible participation in clinical research and refer families to support organizations. These include places like the Autism Science Foundation, and we'll be posting the report on our website. But for now, go to asfpodcast.org. As I mentioned before, this is just one thing that pediatricians deal with. So resources from autism science and advocacy organizations should be shared and learned from. This is all a lot, and pediatricians shouldn't have to do it all on their own. There should be help for them, and ASF is there to help them Both families and doctors share, understand, digest, and use these recommendations and guidance. Thanks for listening. Next week, I'll go over the 2019 Summary at Advances. It's been an honor sharing these podcasts with you this year. Talk to you next week.